We're continuing in this message series we're calling uh, Psalms for the Summer. And today we're going to be in Psalm 19. We already looked at Psalm 1 and we looked at Psalm 16 last week. And today we're in Psalm 19. Psalm is, Psalms is an easy book to find in your Bible. Just open it up in the middle and you should probably land right in the Psalms. And we're at Psalm 19. It's a Psalm of David. That means King David is attributed with writing this Psalm. I'm just going to read the first six verses to get started. Psalm 19, verse 1 through 6. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak, and night after night, they make Him known. They speak without a sound. Or a word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone through the earth, and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. That's King David bursting out in enthusiastic, energetic, unstoppable, explosive praise. He's just, he's looked up and says, oh, it's just, it's shouting at me without any words. Proclaiming the glory of God. That all of creation, in this case particularly the, the, the skies and the expanse of the universe, is evangelizing the world. In English, in Turkish, in Arabic, in Sanskrit, and you name it. With the good news that God created you, and that He loves you, and that He saves you. I don't often turn to a paraphrased translation called The Message, but I I couldn't resist this week. I want to read those same verses to you again from, from The Message. It's a paraphrased translation by Eugene Peterson. God's glory is on tour in the skies. God craft on exhibit across the horizon. Madam Day holds classes every morning and Professor Knight lectures every evening. Their words aren't heard, their voices aren't recorded, but their silence fills the earth. Unspoken truth is spoken everywhere. God makes a huge dome for the sun, a superdome. The morning sun's a new husband leaping from his honeymoon bed. The day-breaking sun, an athlete racing to the tape. That's how God's words vaults across the skies from sunrise to sunset, melting ice, scorching deserts, and warming hearts to faith. Looking at the heavens today, you don't get quite the impact, I think, that, that King David did. Of course, we suffer light pollution by night and smog pollution by day, and so it's somewhat obscured. I'm, I'm told we're all supposed to visit uh, the, what is it, um, uh, arches or natural bridges monument in Utah because it's a designated a, um, 
dark sky preserve. And we're all supposed to get out there and see what a starry sky is really supposed to look like. But even so, when you look up on a clear night, maybe especially after we've had a couple of windy days in Fresno, and you look up, that sky is amazing, isn't it? Do you ever get tired of looking at the sky on a starry night? Or when the sun bursts through in the morning or or it leaves its last rays for us to enjoy at sunset? It stirs something in you. It's meant to. And the psalmist looked at the created universe, especially looking up, looking up. And he saw that not only was it marvelous beyond words, but that the universe itself is speaking to us. Not about itself. Not saying, hey, look how glorious I am. The sun isn't saying, look how marvelous I am. But all of it speaks of God. As David says, proclaiming God's glory. Making God known. It's actually in the purpose statement of our church. Making Christ Jesus known. If the skies inspire any awe in you at all, that means that God is awesome. God is awesome. I'm sure that word is overused and possibly damaged beyond recognition. Last night you might have said, this pizza is awesome! Not, not, no, that, no, that's, that's not really what it was. It was tasty. Or you Pokemon goers, go, Pokemon Go players, you're like, this game is awesome! Not really. Ask those two guys who fell off a cliff a couple days ago. Did you hear about that? <laughs> off the coast of California. They didn't die, but they should have. Um, I, I don't mean awesome, like, subjectively. I, I, you, you may not care, but God is awesome because he inspires awe through what he has made. Dictionary defies awe as an overwhelming feeling of reverence or admiration or fear produced by that which is grand or extremely powerful. The heavens are speaking to you, but they don't use any words. They, they, they speak, as I said, in every language, in every culture, in every time zone... The heavens proclaim and declare and shout and whisper because they want you to see the Creator. David's point is that the skies aren't drawing attention to themselves, as I said. They're pointing you to the awesome Creator. Creation has a purpose. It's not random and self-forming. If it's all random, there's no purpose to it and no purpose to you, you might as well just die right now. If you don't look up at the sky at night or at the sun in the morning and if it doesn't at least prompt you to say, thank you, God. You're not listening to what it's saying to you. Sometimes I confess, I look up and I think, oh, I'm so just tiny and small and insignificant in this world. But that's not the message. Because it's not about me. Looking up isn't meant to cause me to reflect on me. It's meant to cause me to reflect on God the Creator. Or maybe you gaze up in the sky and you think, wow, creation is awesome, which it is. 
But if that's the end of your thoughts, then you're praising creation itself and not the one who made it. The expanse of the universe is given for your enjoyment and for God's praise. It's meant to get your thoughts on the Creator. King David is pretty ecstatic about the sun, for example, even without the benefit of what we know today. He didn't know that it's nearly 10,000 degrees hot. He didn't know that the sun is 864,000 miles across, nearly 1.3 million times the size of our little planet Earth. He didn't know that the sun is the center of our solar system, but that we're just one of 100 billion or 200 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy, and that there are probably billions of galaxies, each filled with billions of stars. He didn't know that. King David didn't know that the earth is 93 million miles from the sun and spinning at a thousand miles per hour and rocketing through earth at 66,000 miles per hour, putting nearly 600 million miles on our odometer every year as we orbit the sun. He didn't know that. He, he didn't know that the, that the, the sun itself and, and all our planets are are orbiting around the center bulge of the Milky Way at 500,000 miles per hour, which is the equivalent of from here to LAX in 1.5 seconds. Wouldn't that be nice? David didn't know that the Earth is at a perfect 23.5 degrees relative to the sun so that we have perfect seasons every year, faithfully year after year after year, season after season. He didn't probably have to think too hard to know that, that we're an ideal distance from the sun as our little planet parked at 93 million miles is just in the right spot. Any further and we'd all be one big glacier. Any, any closer and the whole world would feel like Fresno. <laughs> but David, what he could see is that the sun speaks. And it says, I have a maker, and you do too, and he loves you. You can trust him. He's faithful. Listen to him. Follow him. Are you listening to the message of the skies? Because it's, it's not talking about you. It's speaking to you about God who loves you. And knows you. And wants you to know Him. Well, there's more to this psalm. makes kind of a, a bit of an abrupt shift, it feels like, as you go to verse 7. Not only do the skies speak, but, but God Himself has spoken. Here's what David says at verse 7. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true, each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. See, you can look at the sky and hear it speak of God, but an even closer, more personal, more, 
more intimate, clearer revelation of God is in His Word, the Bible. When you, when you read it, I challenge you, look for ways that God reveals Himself. Sometimes we've been sort of conditioned to read the Bible only for how it helps me or only how it sort of improves my life. I challenge you, as you read Scripture, look for ways that it reveals God. You'll be amazed at the benefits of that to you. It's a life-giving way to read the Bible. Because if you like what you see in creation and what creation says about God, you're going to love what God has to say about Himself in His Word. We could say it this way, that God's words are life-giving. God's words are life-giving. David says the instructions or the law of the Lord is perfect. Wait a second. That law, that word law. I don't know if I don't know about you, but as soon as we throw that word law in the mix, we get a little on edge. I do. I don't like laws. I like freedom. That's what I want. You know, think of traffic lights. What if you could just go through and just ignore them all? Wouldn't that be great? I think about that every time I'm at Maple and Shepherd and my light goes green and one more SUV crosses past on the red. And at that moment, I think, I'm thankful for laws when they're obeyed. They're good for me. They preserve life. Imagine if we just all ignored the traffic lights all the time. Boy, it would make an exciting commute home, wouldn't it? Yeah. We need those laws. The term law means both when you think about when you use the word law in reference to the Bible, you're talking both about sort of the the specific body of law for the Jewish people meant to give them direction and guidance and how to worship and and how to follow God, but also this sort of kind of broad spectrum of the Bible, the the whole thing, including the history stories and the instructions and the praise, all of it together is is God's law. King David you know, rattles off a, a, a bunch of reasons why he's so taken with God's law. We, we're going to call this King David's top ten. His top ten reasons to get, um, you know, excited or to, to really grab hold of what God has given us in the, in the Bible. From verses 7 to 11, he, he says that, that God's written word, which we would call the Bible, is perfect, it's trustworthy, it's right, it's clear, it's pure, it's true. It's desirable, it's sweet, it's cautionary, and it's rewarding. Ten things. Let me go over those again. He says it's perfect. It revives the soul. Have you ever experienced something that's just kind of just ideal and perfect? You're just like, oh, this is great. When you read Scripture, when you, when you meditate on it, you, you find that it, it's like, okay, I'm gonna, it's, it's gonna be okay. My, 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 my spirit is lifted up to move forward. He says it's, it's trustworthy. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Making wise the simple. This book can make dumb people smarter. Oh, I'm so relieved. That's good for me. I needed to know that. I need some help. It makes wise the simple. You feel like you keep making the same stupid mistakes? There's help in here for you and for me. It says it's right, that it, that it brings joy to the heart. You know, things that are right, like I already said, are satisfying. When things go well, right? You're, you're like, oh, it's, 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 his law is right. It's clear, it says. He it, it, it says 
The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. You're not sure what to do? Not sure how to make that decision? Folks who, who spend time meditating and enjoying God's Word often discover there's some clarity. Oh, we need to go here. We need to do this. They're pure. Reverence for the Lord is pure. He's talking about fear of God as found in the Bible. It's, it's a pure way to live. And that it's eternal. That it's true. That it's true. It, in verse, uh, second part of verse 9, the laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. God's fair in the way He does things. He doesn't have favorites. He doesn't like Republicans more than Democrats or vice versa. He doesn't play favorites. It's fair. It's desirable. He, he compares it to not just gold, but purely refined gold. It's sweet like honey. There's a guy I've gotten to know. His name's Curtis. And he sells organic honey on the shepherd at near Clovis there somewhere in Sunnyside. Yeah, I just love buying that pure honey. Sweet. It's cautionary, he says. It's a warning. Verse 11, they're a warning to your servant and a great reward. That's, that's rewarding. A great reward to those who obey him. And again, this list is only worthwhile if you actually apply God's instructions to your life. But I wonder if there's anything else that's as beneficial in your life, that's perfect, trustworthy, right, clear, pure, true, desirable, sweet, cautionary, and rewarding. Jesus was once asked to name the most important of the Jewish laws. You may be familiar with this already. You can find this in Matthew 22. We'll put this one on screen. He said, Jesus answered the man, he says, Well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. He's saying the entire Old Testament is summarized just like that. Love God with everything you are and love your neighbor. Love the person next to you. It's a pretty good summary. That's very life-giving. You need a system, you need a way to integrate God's words into your daily life. It's not, it's not enough just to say, man, I really feel good that I have a Bible. I'm going to put it under my pillow at night, and it's just really going to make a difference. It doesn't work that way. You need, a, you need a system, a way to take these words. Because when you, every time you're in Scripture, you're tying yourself into the truth of God. And you're agreeing with what God's people have been meditating on for thousands of years. You tie yourself into the community of God's people. It's so important for us. I, I recommend uh, reading and journaling a little bit. I've I recreated some um, reading plans. I've put them on the Info Center, both a way you can get through the Bible in a whole year, or if you just don't have as much time each day, you just kind of way to get through the New Testament, the Psalms and Proverbs. Papers are on the info center there. Here's the problem. Most, most people who grew up in church struggle with guilt and obligation when it comes to the Bible. 
They say stuff like, and maybe you've been, maybe you've done this. You say stuff like, I know I really ought to read the Bible more, but I don't know. I just, it's kind of hard to understand. And I don't really have all that much time. And I didn't go to Bible school. And I don't, it's just, the words are hard. And I, just, I mean to, and then I fall asleep. And there's a lot of, Guilt around that. And, um, you know, that was true for me for a long, long time. Uh, because it really takes a deliberate decision to say, I- I'm not reading this because I have to, or because it's expected of me, or to m- somehow make God happy. I'm going to go into this word, and this, this was the difference. I'm going to go on a treasure hunt. I'm going to go seek out what's in there. What's going to reveal to me about God what it's going to reveal to me about life, what it's going to reveal to me about how to live in this world. When you approach the Bible to say, I'm going looking for treasure, I'm going to go find that pure gold that's in there. That's a big shift for you. That's a big difference. And begins to take the obligation and guilt out of that. But it's a decision to do that. It's interesting to me that very often brand new believers do nothing but devour Scripture. So fresh and exciting. They're like, oh, I was talking to a guy the other day. He's like, you know, I'm just, I'm just reading. I started at the beginning and I'm in Luke now. I mean, he powered through in just a matter of a few months. He powered through like Leviticus and Chronicles and Obadiah. Man, that guy's just doing awesome. And it's all live and he's taking notes on what he's discovering. It was just so fun to hear that. It's so fun to see that. I'm like, Lord, I need a fresh attitude about your word. It's full of treasure. Anyway, there's amazing pathways to wisdom and success in God's word. And his instructions, you know, they protect us. Kind of like waiting at that red light in traffic. That red light's protecting you from the people that are going through on the ground, on the green. It's like, man, these dumb rules. No, they're, they're good. They're good laws. It's like we read in Psalm 1 a couple weeks ago, right? That the blessed ones delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank. They, are, they prosper in all that they do. That's a, quite a promise, right? That you prosper as you meditate on God's word. But there is a problem. I'll admit that. We want to enjoy God's word. We want to do it right. We don't want to have guilt about it. We want to discover all that treasure in there. We know it's good for us. But then we're prone to unbelief and rebellion and selfishness and lust and pride and jealousy and laziness. And King David could relate. Look what he says in verses 12 and 13. He says, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins Don't let them control me. Then I'll be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. He's talking about about two kinds of sin. Sin gets in the way, really. Sin gets in the way. Gets in the way of us doing what we know is right to do. He's talking about hidden sins that he doesn't even know what they are. and, And deliberate sins. So God's creation is good. God's written word is good. And then there's this problem that... That I'm a sinner, David says. And I'm guilty of, of, of unintentional sin and, and deliberate intentional sin. So now what? 
Sin gets in the way. It blocks our best intentions without us even realizing it or recognizing it sometimes. You know, you wanted to say something nice to your spouse or your friend, but instead you, you got jealous and you said something selfish. Or you're, you're minding your own business, guys, and then next thing you know, you're clicking yet again where you know it's not good for you and you're filled with shame and embarrassment about it. Or you, you find yourself guilty of gossip or self-righteousness or telling a half-truth to, you know, avoid getting in trouble and looking a little bit better for the boss. Sin gets in the way. Remember how the Apostle Paul put it? Got this one on screen from Romans chapter 7. He says this, I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? It's the Apostle Paul. He, he, um, he has more to say about that in a moment, but it's a serious problem. If you're a believer and you've, if you've never, if you really can't relate to that, I, I'm not sure that you're being honest. Sin gets in the way for all of us of following God's ways. But I'm here to tell you, you're not a lost cause. You're really not. Um, God's word says this as well. Paul, same guy, wrote this in First Corinthians, um, chapter, Second uh, Corinthians, chapter five. Anyone, in fact, you should read this with me. Ready? Go. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Oh, that's good news. Same guy. Same author. Totally different way of grabbing hold of truth. And then the question that he asked, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? He answered that in, in that Romans 7.25 and verse eight, chapter 8. One. Thank God the answer is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That's the good news. It's not, it's not only a New Testament gospel message. The gospel is found throughout Scripture because we see it right here in Psalm 19. Look at verse 14, the last one. So he's, he's saying, look, I've, I've got all these sins. God, would you cleanse me from this? And then verse thir- second part of verse 13, then I'll be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. And verse 14, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Redeemer. See, that's, that's that salvation word. Like only God can cleanse from sin by our faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only way that happens. Only God can redeem. That's not a word we use a whole lot, but redeem means to buy back. You know, like when the store redeems your coupon for, for 40 cents, you, you say, uh, I have a coupon for a dollar, and they say, okay, well, we'll take a dollar off the, the bag of coffee. We will redeem that coupon. They pay for, God, God in Christ Jesus redeemed you. He paid for you. He bought you back when you trusted Him. That makes Him your Redeemer. Even David understood that long before Christ. That God is your Redeemer. It's called the good news. And that message of the God uh, of, of salvation through faith in Christ isn't just for good, nice church people. You know that? It's for those Syrian refugees that Sarah was talking about. It's for your 
atheist relative. It's for your lesbian neighbor. It's for your annoying brother-in-law. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. It's even for those nicely dressed, self-trusting, hard-working religious types like me. Or maybe, maybe you know that it's for you or the person sitting next to you. The good news message is the same for every person that only God can save because only God is the Redeemer. Only God has the right to buy you back from sin. And so that's the last thing I just want to say is that God saves the day. That God saves the day each and every time. David's concluding prayer is a, is a prayer of humility and faith and submission. And he says, may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's moral rock and down in Sequoia Park. That's a rock right there. God, you are my rock and my redeemer. His words and meditation, David's words and meditations are pleasing because David's heart is a redeemed heart. And God is his rock. And his words and his meditations are helping us right now. Friend, you need a rock and you need a redeemer in your life. I do. And you, you, you can know God in the same ways that David did. By faith. Not by keeping the law. Even though he loves the law, he's saying, look, I can't even keep it. I love it like crazy, but I can't keep it. But I'm trusting God to redeem me, to cleanse me from my sins and my faults, whether I can see them or I can't. Because God can make you right in his eyes. God can be your rock. It's the message of the gospel in the New Testament. And it's the same message that's here in Psalm 19. That first God revealed his character and all that he's made. Right? That, that God revealed His intentions then in His written word. Then, then we find out we can't keep the law, so we make gods of our own choosing, gods that we control, or, or gods that, that, that we, that we like, gods of, of pleasure, and gods of power, and gods of pride, because they seem easy to serve, even though they enslave us, as they promise false freedom. He's revealed His character, He's revealed His intentions in His word. We, we find out we can't keep the law, and then God reveals Himself as Redeemer. The one who buys us back. The one who saves and rescues and is our rock. You know the verse. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish. But have that great promise of eternal life. And then Jesus sent us out into the world to share the good news message. We go on mission for Jesus like Sarah's talking about in Turkey or like you might be on whatever street you live on. For me, it's North Bergen. We do that because we're simply joining all creation that's already been doing this since the foundation, the forming of the, of the world. It's already been proclaiming the message of a loving creator, savior, God. Jesus didn't say go into all the world and debate the finer points of theology or you know, go into all the world after you've, you know, finally agreed on which songs to sing. Or, you know, go into all the world once you've built ideal buildings and made the perfect VBS program. He didn't say any of that stuff. That's for us to kind of keep working at and figure it out and chip away at. Jesus did say, go into all the world and make disciples. Followers of Jesus. And baptize them. I understand the Chinese church is doing a baptism today after the second service. That's why the baptism tank's over there. We're holding a baptism here on August 7th. If you have not been baptized as a follower of Jesus, 
on your confession of faith. Why not? Jesus said, get baptized. All right. We're to baptize them. We're to teach them all that Jesus taught. When you direct someone to Jesus, here's, this, this should take some pressure off. When you, when you, when you open up to someone about Jesus, you're never the first one to have spoken to them. Did you know that? They're never hearing it for the first time. They might be listening for the first time. But the stars and the moon and the sun and the planets and the sequoia trees and moral rock have been speaking to them all along of a God who loves them and created them. You're just joining in with what's the message that's already been going out. Does that take any pressure off? I think it does. And then you just simply add the written word of God and, and what God's imprinted on your own heart and experience and you make it real. Friends, God is awesome. And His words are life-giving. And even though sin gets in the way, God saves the day for every person who will yield their whole life to Him to experience Him as rock and redeemer. Let's pray. God, I I am really grateful that um, you didn't make a boring planet for us. I I don't know if we need those stars or not. To me, they seem just kind of a bonus in what all you made. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you've given us the ability to, to see and to experience and enjoy or to listen to the sounds or... Lord, just just to have this kind of broad sensory experience of all that You've made. And Lord, where we have been ignoring You speaking, even in simple ways like creation, or much more specific ways like Your Word, where we've been ignoring You, God, I am asking that You would would forgive us and give give us the ears to hear You speak. And then the will to apply it and obey and follow You. And Lord, each one of us recognizes that we are so imperfect in that and we fail so much more than, than we want to and yet You promise salvation to all who will believe in You. God, I pray that You give us courage. I pray for each person in this room that this week would be a week of courage to join with all creation to proclaim Your glory. And church, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I, I just would challenge you this week to be just reflecting and pondering on this. We've had some good challenges in the, in the past few weeks about, about being people who praise or people who be people who will be generous or being people who, who walk and choose joy. The challenge for us is, can we join with all creation in making God known? Can we, can we go into the treasure of His Word? Apply it to our lives. And then lastly, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I wouldn't want you to leave without having that opportunity. Maybe you're saying, I, I want to be, I want to know God as my Redeemer. I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven of this weight and made right with God. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and we'll pray together after the service? Anybody like that? You can talk to me as well or Pastor Stephen or someone you came with today. So God, we're grateful for the work that you're doing and have been doing long before we got here. And you will continue to do long after we leave.
We give you our praise. Lastly, Lord, we just want to take a moment and recognize that we are in a... It feels like desperate times in our world. It feels out of control. Lord, I just got word of a of another um, shooting this morning. And Lord, we, we're, just, we're just tired of it. And we just recognize we... We need your saving. We need your peace in our nation and in our world. And we know you promised that, that things would get worse, not better, before you came. But God, we're asking you to, to, to bring renewal to our nation. God, that you would cause us to go to our knees and pray for our country. Lord, we, we lift up, particularly lift up our police officers, law enforcement, uh, military. Lord, those who are putting their lives on the line every day. For our safety, God, would you, would you preserve and, and, and spare those who are, who are um, just facing such, uh, such attacks right now? God, we just pray for that. Lord, we pray for, for peace in the nation of Turkey. Lord, um, it's no accident that, that missionaries have been going to Turkey and making your name known. And, and uh, Lord, we just believe the enemy is stirred up and wants to bring turmoil and destruction. God, we pray for an end to that. Uh, Lord, we pray for protection over all our workers in Turkey right now. God, that you would that you would preserve their lives, that you would um, any that are separated and traveling and so on. God, that you'd bring them back together. In your mercy, we pray. God, we need you every day. We need you every day, and we thank you that you're present in all things. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen.